You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for G5 football. Eric Henry and Joe Londrigan here with you to talk some CUSA football once again. Here's the problem. Uh, Only had about three games last week after four got canceled or postponed due to COVID-19 related um, circumstances, which is, I mean, I knew we would have one or two weeks like this, but I don't know, I guess give credit to CUSA for making it almost all the way through the season without something like this happening. Yeah, Joe, man, it is weird. I actually remember getting the note when I believe it was Thursday. I want to say when that slew of games kind of came down, I got a note in my uh in my dms from a from a trusted source who told me he's like hey man you know we just lost um louisiana take north texas and uh, i think charlotte and middle tennessee is going to be next and i'm just like wait a minute is that that's basically the entire schedule right so it's uh you're right man it's just kudos to the conference usa in the sense that they've at least been able to avoid this mass you know cancellation that may have hit you know other conferences i i believe this is the most amount of games that's been canceled in one week but um yeah uh, hopefully we can get things recovered despite the uh, unfortunate trend or track of the way it seems things are going wrong across the nation we can uh, finish out this football season on a high note right yeah that's the hope uh if you look back to last weekend we had uh rice and utsa middle tennessee and charlotte UTEP and FIU and uh, North Texas and Louisiana Tech either postponed or canceled due to uh, rising COVID-19 numbers uh, all across the country. But uh, we won't dwell on that too much right now. Uh, Let's just dive into the games that we did get, starting with FAU beating Western Kentucky 10-6 in uh, not what I would call the most exciting game of the season so far. I was going to say highlight, but that's not really what I would call this. Uh, Nick Tronti benched in the fourth corner, uh, fourth quarter rather, uh, for Javion Posey, who uh, had a rushing touchdown and the only touchdown of the game um, for either team. But the Owls win this one 10 to 6. More of the same from FA, or rather, from Western Kentucky, unfortunately, more of the same for them. Uh, Tyrell Pigram, not exactly impressive. 19 of 39 for 163 yards. Uh, Gage Walker and Jakari Moses combined for 94 yards in the ground. So uh, not too much to get excited about there. And um, I don't really know what to make of FAU on this side. Um, full credit to Willie Taggart for uh, getting his team their third win of the season. Um, not the kind of performance I expected out of Nick Tronti, though. Yeah, Joe, so I'm going to start with Western Kentucky here for a second, right? <laughs> Man, we, you and I, we, uh, who do this podcast, that would make us we, have talked about Tyrell Pigram ad nauseum throughout the season, right? And it is games like that one that make you wonder, 
does Western Kentucky have something? And if, for anyone who watched that game, and, and I guess for those of you who didn't, uh, Tyrell Pigram's numbers do not tell the entire story, right? 19 to 39 for a buck 63, you know, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He had, and I, I remember messaging you during the game, I think, that, man, he, Tyrell Pigram was not being helped by his receivers. I want to say Pro Football Focus credited him with seven or eight drops. Um, I believe it was Xavier Lane who dropped at least, a, you know, two or three. And yes, there was a substantial win for those who did not watch this game because of the effects of now hurricane Etta or ETA uh, at the point in time when this game was played, it was coming through South Florida. So there were substantial wins to the point where even the TV, the television cameras were rocking throughout the game there at a FAU stadium, but Pigram didn't have any issue getting the ball to his receivers. They just couldn't haul him in. And if they make a catch there, a catch there, to maybe even extend the drive, not even saying a touchdown, Joe, but if they extend the drive and get a couple first downs, maybe put them in field goal range. This game may end up differently. I mean, it, it, the final score, 10-6, but it really came down to FAU getting one drive there at the end that really was able to seal the deal for them. Uh, Javion Posey was 11-yard touchdown run. He came in, as you mentioned, Nick Tronti didn't necessarily have the best ball game. How much of that was attributed to the wind? Who knows? It, it's just, it, it's tough to say, man, because I would love to come up here and say, you know, that, um, that uh, all right, Willie Taggart has a, a, a quarterback situation. Or I shouldn't say I'd love to, but will, to, it'd be easier to say that Willie Taggart has a quarterback situation on his hands because of the numbers. But the win clearly affected one team passing. It, it didn't stop the other team from throwing the ball 39 times, right? So in that sense, just my big takeaways from the game, Tyrell Pigram not helped out by his receivers at all. And, you know, FAU, they could not throw the ball at all. Don't know if that, you know, had anything to do with the win, but the defense surely uh, was able to produce. And kudos to Jim Levitt for putting a, a good defensive performance. But it was just kind of a, a mystifying game to kind of process. But all in all, you know, one team wins, one team loses. And uh, kudos to FAU for finding a way to win. Yeah, absolutely. Like with FAU, um, if there's one thing we've seen them be able to do over the years, it's just find ways to get on top of their opponents and win in clutch situations. So full credit to Javion Posey for that, uh, that game winning drive late in the fourth quarter there. Um, but yeah, FAU seem to have it more or less on track. Uh, Western Kentucky, not so much, but uh, we'll see if Tyson Helton has anything up his sleeve for this home stretch of the season. With that, then let's dive into Marshall and UMass uh, Marshall now up to uh, number 16 in the nation likely will be uh, a higher seed this week, but uh, they really take it to UMass in this game. 51 to 10 uh, Brendan Knox, 14 carries for 118 yards and two touchdowns in the ground. Grant Wells, another solid day for him, 21 of 30 and uh, 228 yards through the air and three touchdown passes. Uh, I think we kind of saw this one coming to an extent. Uh, UMass haven't had a lot of time to really put together a team with uh, getting a late start on the season compared to most of the other programs uh, in the nation at this point. And, uh, you know, Marshall, we've talked about how they're just rolling through opponents this year, but uh, still impressive to put up 51 points regardless of who you're playing, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, sure, uh, UMass, excuse me, not Marshall, UMass is a program that, you know, kind of put together, a, a, you know, a scratch season based on the, you know, the circumstances of COVID-19. And quite frankly, that's a program that was rebuilding prior to this year in the first place. You know, Walt Bell, give him credit, the former offensive coordinator of Florida State, appears to have things kind of trending in the right direction. But their four or five game schedule, whatever, whatever they're able to put together is going to serve more spring practice than anything else. And, you know, it's just going to be an opportunity for them to observe what talent they have on the field. As far 
carries a thundering herd. Uh, an efficient performance from Brendan Knox, 14 carries for a buck 18, as he said, in the two scores. Grant Wells, the one thing, and I, I, I hate to keep harping on this, I mean, especially in a week that did see Isaiah Green enter the transfer portal again, but the biggest difference between Marshall this year and the past two years is the fact that games like this, I'm not necessarily saying that they would lose to UMass, but you look at the stat line for Isaiah Green, and it would probably have a turnover or two on it. And that's the big thing that Grant Wells, you know, the redshirt freshman, West Virginia native, has been able to not have on his resume are the turnovers, allow that defense to play well. Definitely, um, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, but the fact that they've been able to get a solid amount of production from the receivers was the one thing that you were wanting coming coming into the year. Now, granted, the two touchdown catches come from Xavier Gaines. Another one comes from Corey Gamage. But at least they were able to get production from receivers in a way that you weren't sure, given Obi Obialo's uh, opting out, you know, uh, or I shouldn't say opting out, excuse me, transfer uh, prior to the season. So that certainly helps. And when you got a guy like Devontae Beckett, who pound for pound may be the top player in Conference USA, that certainly helps you on the defensive side. So kudos to, to, to them. Kudos to Brad Lambert, the former uh, Charlotte head coach are putting together a good defensive game plan. And of course, UMass, like as we said, very much rebuilding mode. Uh, the fact that they scored 10 points is a positive. <laughs> that uh, that should tell you something about the program when scoring 10 points is uh, a positive. But I uh, don't want to take anything away from uh, this Marshall team and how good they are for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting how far they've come. And crazy that Isaiah Green is back in the transfer portal uh, after all that drama with him uh, in the spring and early summer. But seems to be the way the cookie crumbles in college football at this point. Southern Miss beating Alabama 24-13 to to round out the slate of games that did get played this weekend. Uh, North Alabama actually led 13-10 to heading into the fourth corner. But uh, Southern Miss scoring 17 unanswered points to take the victory back there. Frank Gore Jr., 13 carries for 103 yards in that game. And uh, Trent Lowe, um, rather Trey Lowe, uh, 100 yards, two interceptions. Not an amazing day, but uh, did the job that he needed to filling in for an injured Jack Abraham. Yeah, biggest thing for me here, Frank Gore Jr., you know, that is, if anything is going to come of the 2020 college football season for Golden Eagle fans is the emergence of Frank Gore Jr. You know, coming into the year, Joe, you didn't want to just give him credit because of his name, right? Because of who his dad was. But he has shown now, of course, we'll talk about in the midsection, a guy who did see some playing time earlier in the year, Don Ragsdale, he's chosen to transfer. Kevin Perkins is kind of their, you know, designated short yardage back. If you ever see Kevin Perkins run, Joe, he, uh, they have him listed at six foot, but he looks like he's closer to like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, he's like 240. He's like that big bowling ball down there. Who, when you get inside the five-yard line, you just hand it to him. He's got five scores on 40 rushing attempts this year. He had uh, three touchdowns, definitely the short yardage back. But Frank Gore Jr. is the main thing to come up this year for Southern Miss fans and defensively uh, Hayes Maples you know uh, in there uh, as a linebacker is certainly having a solid year as a sophomore I believe he's leading the team in tackles and at 10 in the contest against North Alabama for North Alabama Blake Deaver was the starting quarterback they've had some uh, quarterback issues or I shouldn't say quarterback issues as much as just kind of uh, a rotation due to injuries throughout the year but he had a solid performance 21 to 28 for a buck 53 gave his team a shot but in the end you know Southern Miss's talent won out and I think that's a very positive sign that if you are a Golden Eagle fan, the last thing you'd want to see in a year that, you know, certainly has been tumultuous to say the least three head coaches, you know, a couple of three quarterbacks have played this year is to lose to an FCS team uh, that's coming in at 0 and 2. So kudos to them for getting the win. But yeah, Frank Gore Jr. is definitely the, the biggest takeaway from 2020 so far for Southern Miss. Absolutely. He has been really solid up to this point in the year, and it looks like they're going to have to lean on him uh, even more 
heading into this home stretch of the season as uh, their other running back, Don Ragsdale, has uh, apparently left the team and is looking for a new school. So um, he was a top 10 running back out of Juco, so he'll definitely find a home somewhere, you would think, um, but hasn't really contributed too much to uh, the Golden Eagles so far this year with uh, only 81 yards after seeing action in three games. Yeah, he was a guy who had interest from Tennessee. I, I vividly remember um, his recruitment because I know it's Southern Miss had offered him and then Tennessee, excuse me, he'd committed to Southern Miss and then Tennessee had offered him late, but he went in and signed his letter of intent. And I don't remember if he got the start or if he just scored a touchdown early in the year. I want to say it was in the first two or three games. May have been that opening game, if my memory serves me correct. So he, he was getting a little bit of time early on. But, you know, like I just mentioned in the, in the game recap there for Southern Miss, Frank Gore Jr. has really emerged as the number one guy, the go-to back there uh, in Hattiesburg. So, yeah, um, Don Ragsdale will definitely get some interest. You know, he, he like I said, three-star kid coming out of uh, Juco, Heinz Community College down there. So he'll get some interest, but didn't work out for him with the Golden Eagles. Just one more thing to uh, add on to the plate of misery in Hattiesburg this year, unfortunately. Uh Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Um, so with that, then let's uh, let's move on to uh, some other kind of disappointing news within COSA, and uh, that's coming out of El Paso. Um, with everything that is going on about uh coronavirus outbreak in El Paso at this point, last thing you need is more bad news out of there, but... Um, we're hearing that uh, about 90% of UTEP staff has been furloughed at this point uh, in athletics. Um, for context, they had 98 employees, 88 are taking furloughs, according to uh, Mark McGurk, the VP of Business Affairs at UTEP, uh, reported by uh, KFOX in El Paso. But, um, you know, it, it hurts your heart to kind of see the just tragic effects really that uh some of these smaller schools are having to face as a result of everything happening in in the u.s right now joe i just want to read a quote here you know to kind of really drive home the situation uh, the furloughs range anywhere from two weeks to 24 weeks mcgurk said it's a decision made by the athletics department based i suppose on need or whether or need and whether or they whether or not they could support those positions and when they needed those positions. I should try reading for a living, right? Um, here's the deal, man. Two weeks to 24 weeks, that's, you know, if, if that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what does. For 90% of Americans, two weeks without a check is enough to drive them to, you know, worry, let alone 24 weeks. That's, you know, by my country math, almost half the year. So uh, in that sense, you know, it's just a really tough break. And, you know, these athletic departments, Joe, you know, this having, uh, and when you were in college, having spent some time in the athletic department and, you know, I did so as well, you know, when I was in college and now covering FIU, they are the hardest working and quite frankly, probably the most underpaid people in the entire uh, athletic system there. <laughs> you know, the coaches get uh, their, their salaries get reported and they get a lot of grief for, 
the amount of money they make, but these guys don't make nearly enough money for the 12, 13, 14, 15 hour days that they have to put in multiple days a week during each sports respective year. So heart goes out to them and, you know, they're probably going to be some of these employees who guess what? They, they love their job that much. They're going to continue to go to work and do it for free, but it's just, it's a tough right, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, we've touched on this a lot over the last six months, but, um, <laughs> and you just said it, a lot of the support staff do not make very much money to begin with. So it, it just, it's just it sucks to see stuff like this happening continually within college athletics. So uh, hopefully they can land on their feet and uh, UTEP athletics in general can, uh, you know, I don't know, find a million dollar bill in the street. I don't know what your options are at this point if you're UTEP minors, but hopefully the situation improves quickly. Um, so, so far we have seven games on the slate for this weekend in CUSA, uh, FIU hosting Florida Atlantic as of now on a Friday, the 13th at seven Eastern on CBS sports network, FAU favored by nine here. I think that's very fair. Um, what we've seen out of the Owls so far this season, uh, whether it's been Tronti or Javion Posey at the helm, uh, it's really been like they just find ways to win, like we said earlier in the show. Um, I don't think this one will be particularly close, at least in theory, but um, it kind of depends on the weather situation that they're going to face, right? As of now, looks like it's going to be a clear day, but uh, as a resident Floridian can attest, you know, that can change on a dime. Yeah, for my sake, being out there in the press tent, you know, that is where we are relegated to at uh, Ricardo Silva Stadium due to COVID. I hope it does not rain. That aside, as far as on the field, yeah, you know, the biggest thing that's going to determine this for at least the FIU side of things, Joe, they're facing so many injuries. I think I said this last week or a couple weeks ago. You don't have to be a football expert to know that if you're starting left tackle and your last year's leading receiver are watching the game from the student section because of injuries, that's not gonna, a recipe for success. You can add running back Sean Peterson Jr., who had his first 100-yard day, uh, I believe two weeks ago or two games ago against Middle Tennessee. He has a torn ACL and meniscus. So uh, the rushing game is going to really come down to Devontae Price and possibly Malik Williams. Uh, outside of that for FIU, Stone Norton. The or has been removed from the two deep or at least the online two deep. So it appears if Stone Norton is the guy, of course, we'll see how that plays out on game day. But for right now, how his development uh, progresses and, you know, what type of week of practice he's able to get in and maybe they can get even a consistent week of practice. That'll make a difference. But first things first, Malcolm Davidson, if he is healthy, along with BJ Emmons, that is task number one for FIU to stop the run. Don't necessarily see it happening. Not that the Panthers haven't improved against the run, but FAU has two of the best backs in Conference USA, and that defense is riding a hot streak, so I will take the outs. Seems like a fairly easy pick, as does this next one. Marshall hosting MTSU at noon on Saturday, also on CBS Sports Network. Uh, number 16, Hurd, favored by 23 and a half heading into this one. Um, I really don't see MTSU, at least the defense, having an issue for Brendan Knox or Grant Wells or any of the other pieces on that Marshall offense as of now. So I think they're a pretty safe pick here as well. Yeah, I'm going to completely agree with you on that one. Scott Schaefer's defense, the defensive coordinator from Middle Tennessee State, they have struggled throughout the year trying to contain teams, whether it's been the run or the pass. This kind of reminds me, not that Grant Wells is going to take off and run for, you know, 180-something yards, but it kind of reminds me 
of the North Texas game a couple weeks ago where Jason Bean came in and you know really exploited the Middle Tennessee State defense. In this in this game, they'll be facing arguably the league's best running back in Brendan Knox. Don't see any reason that the defense will you know suddenly be up to the task and will be able to hold a Marshall. The biggest thing I will say is Ash O'Hara against Marshall. I think this could be a game where at least you kind of measure up. You know his his play over the last week has kind of improved, but he's facing you know no doubt about it the cream of the crop in Conference USA. We'll see what, you know, heroics Asher can pull out. But with that aside, uh, you know, with that, you know, uh, out of the picture, definitely see Marshall taking this one. And then we have Charlotte hosting Gardner-Webb at uh, noon on ESPN3. Uh, I expect a big day out of Chris Reynolds. This is Gardner-Webb's uh, first game of the season. Um, they're, of course, falling into that FCS category where, they didn't really have anything up to this point. Uh, I'm not really seeing any reason to think Charlotte wouldn't win this game for a lot of reasons, but um, I, I do expect Chris Reynolds to have something of a bounce back game here and uh, rack up some decent, uh, some decent numbers for his team. Joe, I'll spare you the rant about an FCS team that hasn't played this year, taking on a team that's played five games, you know, so no reason to divert from what you just said, Victor Tucker, Chris Reynolds, you know, expect those guys to have big games and Charlotte will roll. In agreement on that one, then uh, at three Eastern, we have UTSA and UTEP in the Alamo Dome on ESPN plus Roadrunners favored by seven points. I really hope this game gets played. I have been really excited to see both these teams take the field. Uh, this year, just in general, uh, Gavin Hardison, we've talked about how much he's been like a source of positivity for the UTEP football program, uh, sincere McCormick, of course, for UTSA, another rising star. Um, so I would take UTSA in a close game here, but like I said, really hope these two teams actually get to take the field on Saturday. I'm going to echo those thoughts because I think this has a chance to be one of the most entertaining games of the weekend. Rice, Louisiana Tech will probably challenge for that as well. But uh, a battle of two Texas teams that are surging, really trying to rebuild their programs and doing on the fly. Kudo, uh, kudo, give kudos to the coaches there and Jeff Trailer and Dana Dimmel. But yeah, man, I am leaning more towards UTEP. I think. And, uh, you know, for the effort of full disclosure, I had a chance to do radio in El Paso a couple weeks ago, and they were really primed and, you know, really excited about their team's chances to go on there and play FIU. Didn't get a chance to do that. So I think they'll be pumped up and ready to go and definitely looking to see what Dion Hankins can do against the UTSA defense. We saw what the FAU backs had a chance to do against UTSA, and Dion Hankins is looking to establish himself as one of the best backs in Conference USA. So uh, maybe in a bit of an upset pick, but I'm going to take UTEP. Okay, then. And then uh, with this UAB versus North Texas game, also at three o'clock in Birmingham, um, Blazers favored by 14 here, expecting a big day out of Spencer Brown. Um, I don't personally think North Texas will make any noise here in terms of giving UAB a run for their money. We've seen what uh, what the North Texas defense is dealing with so far this year, regardless of kind of, uh, you know, the positivity that Austin Ani has kind of brought to the table so far. But um as we've said before, I think UAB has a decent chance at making a run at the CUSA West title, and they're going to continue on that run in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's really a, it's a log jam up there at the top of Conference USA West with, between them, Louisiana Tech, and UTSA. We'll see what happens, how that plays out. The biggest thing that's going to decide it, can UAB get steady quarterback play? Bryson Lucero or Tyler Johnson III, no matter what, they have to protect the football. Joe, it kind of sounds like we're saying that about every quarterback situation in Conference USA, but especially uh, there in Birmingham because they have Spencer Brown, who is healthy and looks to be returned to his 
2018 form. So I'm going to take UAB, but I am not putting it past North Texas to pull off the upset. They have a dynamic offense, whether it's been Austin Ani or Jason Bean. And if the UAB quarterbacks cannot protect the football, they will, and, and they allow North Texas to hang around, they have a shot, but I, I'm going to go with UAB. And then Louisiana Tech hosting Rice at uh, 3.30 Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, I'm taking Louisiana Tech in this game, though they're only favored by one point. Um, For me, Rice, it's just been kind of tough to get a read on them through only two games so far. Uh, But, you know, I I think we can never really count out Louisiana Tech based on the the talent in that team. Luke Anthony, Israel Tucker, Adrian Hardy, all those guys. So I think based on what I've seen out of them so far, I would not put it past them to get a victory on Rice. I'm going the other direction. We're going to have fun with this next week, right? Seeing who's right and who's wrong. Give me Rice. I am all aboard the Mike Collins and Austin Trammell train. I think they you know, could be one of the top one-two punches as far as quarterback and receiver duels in Conference USA. And the biggest thing for Tech is they're low-key banged up. You know, you, you talk about the weapons they have on offense and Adrian Hardy, Smoke Harris, Griffin A. Bear, C.J. Powell, all studs. But, you know, when you do have a guy like Willie Baker, it appears if at running back, Justin Henderson is still trying to work his way into form, you know, coming off of a strange offseason where he didn't get, you know, the, uh, the type of training camp that you normally would have. That's resulted in Israel Tucker being the number one guy. But listen, I think Rice, uh, I've said this for really the past, better part of the past year and a half or so. Whether it was Sean Stankovich in 2018, um, last year's starter, uh, the kid from Harvard, Tom Stewart, if they could have gotten consistent quarterback play, you can make the argument that they would have been a bowl team both years. And Mike Collins seems to at least be stabilizing the quarterback position there. So I'm going to take Rice. All right. And then rounding up the slate, we have Western Kentucky hosting Southern Miss at uh, 3.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Uh, tops favored by five heading into this game. Um, I think what we're going to see here, a relatively low scoring game. Uh, just because what we've seen out of the Western Kentucky offense and, uh, you know, depends on if we get a healthy Jack Abraham or not. But uh, I'm going to take Southern Miss here. I think Frank Gore Jr. is going to have another big day. Um, I think we're going to see a few, some good individual plays from D'Angelo Malone, as we saw last weekend with the two sacks. But um, (laughs) as weird as it is to say, Southern Miss just seems like a more – you know, it, with let me let me preface this by saying with Jack Abraham, Southern Miss seems like a more uh, inspiring team right now. And maybe I'm just saying that because they're coming off of a win and it's been a minute since we saw Western Kentucky victory. But I'm going to pick Southern Miss for the upset in this game. Joe, let me help you out. I, I think this is what you're saying. Southern Miss, if Jack Abraham is healthy, seems to have more steady quarterback play, right? That that seems to be right. You know, the, the word quarterback seems to be the the uh, buzzword across Conference USA throughout the entire season, right? Give me Western Kentucky. I this is going to be how last year all I did was talk about Isaiah Green, right, back and forth. This year, that guy is Piggy T. Tyrell Pigram. One week I'm going to say like, oh man, does he have it? The next week I'm going to wonder, you know, all right, is he not being helped up by his receivers? There was no doubt that last week his numbers were not reflective of the game that he played. And you see the talent there. You just don't see it in enough of a consistent nature. But I do think going against a Southern Miss defense that when they haven't played an FCS team, they've struggled. And if one thing we know about Tyrell Pigram is he can move the pocket and use his legs. I can see this being a game where he and Gage Walker could potentially get off and, you know, really kind of get the running game going early. And if the receivers can help out Tyro Pigram, I think the defense led by D'Angelo Malone can make enough plays to get a win. 
give me Western Kentucky uh, and not the upset and to uh, to win. You know that meme of like the stick figure, like holding a stick, like poking something like, come on, do stuff. That's how I feel about Western Kentucky football this year. <laughs> like, I just want, I want that offense to wow me the way it did, like at the tail end of the, uh, the Jeff Broughton years. I know that's asking a lot, but based on what we saw out of Tyson Helton last year, it was extremely, you know, exciting and gave, you know, I think tops fans a lot of hope and we're just not getting that this year for a lot of reasons, but Joe, it, uh, it's asking, it's asking a lot of them because if they have any more opt-outs, you and I are going to be lining up in the slot. Put me in coach. I'm ready to play today, <laughs> you know, but Oh, well, uh, with that, then we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, a little bit of a short one here due to the fact that there's just not a lot of games to talk about. And, you know, it, I don't know about you, Eric, but I don't really want to talk about people losing their jobs anymore. Um, so, with that, yeah. So with that, then we'll just wrap up this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll uh, be back next week to talk more CUSA football. Uh, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And uh, like we said, we'll uh, talk some more CUSA football with you next week. Hope you stay safe, happy, and healthy. Happy football watching, everybody.